Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? So today, we're going to be looking at an announcement speech for the presidency given by Kamala Harris. And there have been multiple speeches and multiple announcements that have happened up until this point on the at the Democratic Party of those who are announcing their candidacy for president in 2020. And we're going to be listening to this one in particular because it contains a lot of the elements that we talk about here on the show. It contains a lot of the different persuasive devices, the tactics, the themes, the metaphors, all of the various things that we've been talking about and actually a few that we haven't you know, covered yet. So in this first clip that we're going to be listening to, this is a clip that actually is of her speaking, but it's something that comes on to the crowd. She's giving the speech in Oakland, California, which is her hometown. And it comes on to the crowd before she even walks up to the stage. So it's just this audio clip of her actually giving this um, this talk and this presentation. And so let's just listen to this for a second of what everyone hears right before she steps up to the stage. And this is really interesting. So let's take a listen to this one. Truth, justice, decency, equality, freedom, democracy. These aren't just words. They're the values we as Americans cherish. And they're all on the line now. The future of our country depends on you and millions of others lifting our voices to fight for our American values. That's why I'm running for President of the United States. I'm running to lift those voices, to bring our voices together. Go to KamalaHarris.org to join our campaign. Let's do this together. Let's claim our future for ourselves, for our children, and for our country. All right, so right at the very beginning here, we hear her just listing off different words. Truth, justice, decency, equality, freedom, democracy. She's just listing off words. And what is very powerful about these particular types of words is that they're unspecified. They are, in fact, values Um, And a value in particular, the way I'm using that term, is that it's a value is a word that is very highly chunked up. It's very highly abstracted. And because of that, people fill in their own definition of what that word means. So in other words, what does the word truth mean to people? Well, that can be interpreted in so, so many ways, you know, depending on which news network you watch. What does the word justice mean to people? Well, for some people, that's going to mean Kamala Harris's work as a prosecutor. For others, it's going to mean something completely different. 
And so then she says, these aren't just words. Well, interesting. And then she says, these are the values we as Americans cherish, and they are all on the line now. Now, what does exactly she mean by that? What does she mean that they are all on the line? Um, What specifically is on the line? And, you know, what does that mean? Well, the person fills in their own definition of that. And in fact, Kamala Harris fills in her own definition of what she means when she says that. Um, And then she, you know, she talks about the future of the country. And then she has this theme that she starts to go into lifting. I'm running to lift those voices, to bring those voices together. And then she gives the, you know, social media thing. Go to KamalaHarris.org. Join our campaign. Let's do this together. Let's claim our future for ourselves, for our children, for our country. And, you know, that last little bit there just reminds me so much of a speech that John McCain gave when he was running for president um, about the children and the country and the future. These are not, this is not a, a thematic type of idea that um, she's coming up with. This is actually something that many politicians have used, and in fact, almost in this exact same word order. Yeah, what you can hear is that she's taking these very vague words and assigning them as these values that Americans cherish. Now, you could name just about any positive value and start assigning that as values that Americans cherish and Americans have. But I think the thing that you'll notice here throughout her speech is that she'll do that a lot. She'll take just general, very vague things and start tying them to this idea of America and this shared identity of you know what Americans do and do not want. Now, you'll notice as well that they're all being heavily loaded. So she'll start with something that may allude to Donald Trump or may allude to the Republican Party, something that perhaps, you know, a partisan might think that they lack, and then start uh, tying all of that to, uh, you know, the opposite to the Democrats and to her and herself and and these American values. And so it's really masterful. It's really interesting, um, which you'll see here. It's not a whole lot different than what a lot of politicians do. Um, this is something that's pretty common, and I think if you listen to our podcast long enough, you'll see a lot of people do. But the thing that you'll notice in her speech here is that she leans just so heavily on that. So the other thing to really keep in mind as you're listening to this is that she has this campaign slogan, Kamala Harris for the people, and we're going to hear her doing some thematic things with this a little bit later on. But one of the things when you watch the video right there in the podium where she's speaking, it has a little placard there and it says text fearless to and then it gives like one of those texting numbers that you're supposed to text. So, again, that's one of those subtle messages, right? Fearless. We are fearless, you know, and that's that's the theme that she's trying to build up around um, her campaign. Now, in this next clip, we're really going to be getting into her speech And how she's starting this speech and, you know, she starts it initially just saying, hey, thank you, Oakland. You know, I'm so, you know, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. And then we're going to hear her starting to get into how she begins to create that sense of rapport with the audience. So let's take a listen to this clip. Well, let me tell you, I am so proud to be a daughter of Oakland, California. And as most of you know, I was born just up the road at Kaiser Hospital. 
<laughs> and it was just a few miles away that my parents first met as graduate students at UC Berkeley. where they were active in the civil rights movement. And they were born half a world apart from each other. My father, Donald, came from Jamaica to study economics. My mother, Shamala, came from India to study the science of fighting disease. They came here in pursuit of more than just knowledge. Like so many others, they came in pursuit of a dream. And that dream was a dream for themselves, for me, and for my sister Maya. So now as we listen to her get into her speech, you'll notice what she's doing here right at the beginning, right? You gotta build rapport with your audience. Now, some of this might not connect too much to people listening from all around the country, but when she starts talking about, you know, being born at the hospital just up the street, being active in the civil rights movement during that time when she was born. All of those things are sort of a shared memory and a shared experience that the people in the audience right there have. What she's doing is building that rapport so that as she gets into her speech later, people are bought into who she is, and now they can identify with that and cheer louder and, and uh, start sort of bypassing those uh, those faculties that put up walls and barriers between what she's saying and and what's getting them excited. They're going to be, you know, more boastful, more excited, and that's going to translate over cameras to the listener, to the watcher. Yeah, so she's starting off that pacing, the pacing statements. This is what is true. This is what is true. And she's getting on that same page with her audience and one of the things, of course, is telling her own personal story, the story about her, her parents. And this reminds me of the uh, analysis we were doing of the clip where we were uh, doing Barack Obama when he was in California. And we were talking about basically Obama when he was in Disneyland and how that you know whole thing went down. And if you haven't listened to that, that was a great speech that we broke down and you know all the different tactics that were being used there. Um, but she talks about you know, how she came from this immigrant family. Her mother came from here to study this. Her father came from there to study that. And then she said they came here in pursuit of more than just knowledge. They came in pursuit of a dream. Well, this is very persuasive, right? Because what she's saying is, hey, they came here, but now she adds on this layer of motivation. This is what her parents were pursuing. So there's the actual... Um, biographical fact of what happened and what her parents studied. But then she adds in now this new layer, this kind of family history, if you will, that's actually happening. This sense of, hey, this is what is within her whole cosmography of her life and of her parents' life. And what did it all mean? What was it all leading toward? And of course, what it's going to lead toward, and as we're going to hear in this next clip, is a promise, okay? You know, they came here in the promise for the pursuit of the promise of a dream. So let's go ahead and listen to this next clip, and she's going to be talking about promises. As children growing up here in the East Bay, we were raised by a community with a deep belief in the promise of our country and a deep understanding 
of the parts of that promise that still remain unfulfilled. We were raised in a community where we were taught to see a world beyond just ourselves, to be conscious and compassionate about the struggles of all people. We were raised to believe public service is a noble cause and the fight for justice is everyone's responsibility. In fact, my mother used to say, don't sit around and complain about things, do something. And basically, I think she was basically saying, you've got to get up and stand up and don't give up the fight. <laughs> and it is this deep-rooted belief that inspired me to become a lawyer and a prosecutor. It was just a couple of blocks from this very spot. Nearly 30 years ago, as a young district attorney, I walked into the courtroom for the first time and said the five words that would guide my life's work. Kamala Harris for the people. Now, there are a couple of things here that I find really interesting. First is this quote from her mother of, uh, she used to say, don't just stand around and complain about things, do something. First off, that's <laughs> such a generic quote. <laughs> I think everybody can relate to hearing their parents or somebody in their life saying that. I, I, I people say it all the time. Um, so it's really hard for she. She sort of makes this seem like this down home kind of thing that there's this like local saying that her mother used to say that was just for her, right. but it, it's not. <laughs> and it's also the sort of like I, I don't know. I feel like it's an allusion to uh, Barack Obama's um, spiel where he you know gets everybody riled up and he says don't boo vote it's like uh she's trying to do that but uh i don't know isn't doing it quite as well but people are able to just allow that to sort of pass on by the other funny thing here is that when she gets to does one of donald trump's you know tropes is where he'll start telling a story without actually like saying that he's starting a story and what she does here is she talks about, you know, walking into the, the courthouse that she's going to get, you know, sworn in and all of that. And, you know, what's going on and what's happening right there. She sort of starts telling the story. So you start going into this imaginative state of imagining, you know, what exactly is happening there. And it's sort of uh, it's another clever way to get somebody more leaned into what you're trying to say. And she goes into those five words. You know, this is such a salesy technique, you know, where she says, and I learned the five words that would guide my life's work, dot, 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 <laughs> right? And there's that long pause. And don't you want to know what those five words are? Like, what are the five words? And then, of course, the five words, as she has that nice pregnant pause there, is Kamala Harris for the people. And that's her campaign slogan that is now being spun into or made into a life theme. So it's kind of like whenever someone sees that slogan, she's trying to attach it to her life and the theme of her life. So she's using her life in kind of a, uh, a thematic structure, like a hero's journey type of thing, 
you know, um, similar to not exactly like, but similar to like a rags to riches kind of thing, you know, where someone says, well, this is, this is my journey. This is where I've been. And so every time someone sees that campaign slogan and they're going to be seeing it a lot, they're going to be remembering all of these illusions and things that she's now building and adding to as she's telling the stories. And, you know, we talked about this idea, how she was talking about the promise, right? The promise of our country and the parts of that promise that remain unfulfilled. Now, which promise specifically is that? Okay, we got to know what is the promise and who promised it to you. And then what does she mean, the parts of that promise that remain unfulfilled? What is she alluding to there? And what happens is that when you have someone leave that open-ended, see, she's going to go on to explain what she means by that, but she's not going to be really specific about tying what she's saying now into what she says later. And so it's left up to the listener's mind to just kind of tie it all together and make it into something that seems good. And with the excitement of the rally and maybe their their, uh predisposition to liking her, for example, or liking the fact that, you know, she grew up in Oakland or, you know, any of those, any of those different things, it's much more likely for them to just kind of gloss over any of the factual things, connecting them together and just go, oh, I know what she meant. Well, what if she didn't really mean that? So in this next part, we're going to hear her getting into some persuasive language, in particular, one pattern that she talks about and she's really going to be deepening this backdrop to her campaign slogan in her narrative. Let's take a listen. Now, now I knew our criminal justice system was deeply flawed, but I also knew the profound impact law enforcement has on people's lives and its responsibility to give them safety and dignity. I knew I wanted to protect people. And I knew that the people in our society who are most often targeted by predators are also most often the voiceless and vulnerable. I believed... And on that point, I believed, and on that point, I believed then, as I do now, no one should be left to fight alone. Because you see, in our system of justice, we believe that a harm against any one of us is a harm against all of us. That is why when a case is filed, It doesn't read the name of the victim. It reads the people. And this is a point I have often explained to console and counsel survivors of crime, people who faced great harm, often at the hands of someone they trust, be it a relative or a bank or a big corporation. I would remind them, you are not invisible. We all stand together. Because that is the power of the people. And my whole life, I've only had one client, the people. 
Yeah, so she's really wrapping this up now and tying it again really very powerfully into her campaign slogan. In my entire life, I've only had one client. That's the people. That is the power of the people. And as she's doing that, she's really building up once again this idea of what is what does that mean? What does that campaign slogan mean? Well, now she's beginning to frame her work as a prosecutor, as a leader, as a champion, as someone who is fighting for the voiceless and the vulnerable, who is fighting for people who may have believed that they were invisible. And if you notice, right there when she starts to talk about that whole voiceless and vulnerable thing and protecting people, that's when the crowd gives her that big cheer, right? It's this kind of sense of she is protecting them. She is giving them that dignity that they always, you know, always wanted. And it's very thematic, this structure. You know, she's she's bringing it together in this very kind of thematic way, all standing together, you know, equality, we are all one. These This is very liberal, left-wing kind of messaging. Right, yeah. She's sort of filling in all the blanks here because when you hear Kamala Harris for the people, you're immediately going to jump to, oh, well, what does that mean? And now she's sort of filling in all of that right here uh, with this story so that the most devout people who believe in her are able to you know, hear the story of how the slogan came to be and what it actually means. So now when anybody thinks that, oh, this slogan is way too vague, this doesn't make any sense, like there's an actual real concrete story behind it. And I think that that's rather... Um, that's really smart on her part because it's not like, you know, uh, Obama for America or Hillary for America. Well, what does that even mean? Um, you actually have something that you can point to and, and a real concrete story behind it, which I think will help with sort of skeptical people or at least gives it a, a veneer of, um, you know, this is what it actually is. Yeah. And she also has at the beginning of this clip, she had a interesting persuasive language pattern which was, now I knew, blank, but I also knew, blank, okay? Now I knew, and then she gives this unpleasant fact that's persuasively stated, but I also knew that, and she gives this positive possibility. And the reality is is that she didn't really say that much that was different, but what she's doing there is drawing a contrast. She's saying, yes, this, but that. I knew this, but I also knew that. And so she's she's starting to say in her mind, well, I knew that there were some holdbacks, but we are fighting. We're driving forward. I know that there's a possibility that's on the horizon. This whole thing is very thematic, and that language device that she just used there is going to support her within that. And hopefully, if you've been listening to the show for a while— you're starting to hear some of these things. You're starting to hear this within language. You're starting to hear it as politicians and others who are persuasive. It's not just politicians. Many other people are persuasive. And to hear how they use these language devices like the ones that Kamala Harris uh, just said. And we're going to be listening to another clip here where she's just deepening that understanding. What does it mean being for the people? And she's going to be starting to use this device of repetition. Let's take a listen. For the people meant fighting for middle-class families who had been defrauded by banks and were losing their homes by the millions in the Great Recession. And I'll tell you, sitting across the table from the big banks, I witnessed the arrogance of power. 
Wealthy bankers accusing innocent homeowners of fault as if Wall Street's mess was of the people's making. So we went after the five biggest banks in the United States. We won $20 billion for California homeowners. And we passed. And together, we passed the strongest anti-foreclosure law in the United States of America. So she's talking about what did for the people mean? And so she has this idea of, well, what it meant was going after the big banks. What it meant was passing anti-foreclosure laws. What it meant was this other thing. So people get to look at those experiences, which are inarguable, by the way, because you're looking at the legislation that was passed and they read it in the news. And so how can they argue with that? You know, she points to that and she goes, that's what it meant. This is my track record. And that's what now my campaign slogan means about the future. So she's doing a bridge here from past. Here's the track record. Here's what the future is therefore going to mean based on what we have already done. And then she has some very interesting parts here where she's just associating them, you know, right into the scene. She's sitting across from the big banks and witnessing that arrogance of power, putting them now in her shoes. She's sitting across from them. That's what what is happening during this this whole clip. Yeah, what she's doing here, this is all about broadening that definition of for the people. So we started at the very beginning with her. Uh, with for the people, meaning her getting, you know, sworn in, you know, as an attorney. Then she broadens that out to for the people, meaning, you know, her fighting for all of these causes. And now she's setting herself up here to broaden that definition of for the people to mean even more things. And let's hear what she's got in mind right now. And together we took on these battles. And to be sure, we've won and we've lost, but we have never stopped fighting. We have never stopped fighting. And that's why we are here today. And that's why we are here today. We are here knowing we are at an inflection point in the history of our world. We are at an inflection point in the history of our nation. We are here because the American dream and our American democracy are under attack and on the line like never before. And we are here at this moment in time because we must answer a fundamental question. Who are we? Who are we as Americans? So let's answer that question to the world and each other right here and right now. America, we are better than this. We are better than this. When we have leaders who bully and attack a free press 
and undermine our dem democratic institutions. That's not our America. When white supremacists march and murder in Charlottesville or massacre innocent worshipers in a Pittsburgh synagogue, that's not our America. When we have children in cages crying for their mothers and fathers, don't you dare call that border security. That's a human rights abuse. So now here we see what we've talked about a lot on this show. The best politicians and the best speeches are the ones where the politician can really tell a story. We've seen that if you go back to our episode on Barack Obama's speech um, right before the midterm elections. Um, what he did there was sort of build the, the cast of characters. He talked about you know where America has come, where it is now, and then where it is going. And so she's sort of doing the exact same thing here, right? Is that she's telling her story. She started off by, you know, who am I? Where have I been? Where has America been? And now it's where is America right this second? And she's talking about all of these abuses, all of these terrible things, all of this stuff that's happening right now and this decision that we need to make right now. And then later we'll get to the clips where she starts talking about what is the future possibility that I see here? So she builds the whole narrative, and that's what really makes the the best speech. And there's so much to unpack here in this segment that she, that she does. You know, she she talks about taking on these battles, right? Some we won and we lost for sure, but the one thing that happened is we never stopped fighting. And she really emphasizes that. Now, if you look at the video of this. Her head actually nods with every word. We never stop. And at the same time, she has that vertical hand downward motion. Like if you take your hand and make it into kind of a karate chop and then you kind of have that downward motion, which is something that politicians are oftentimes trained to do. You know, it's open hand, but they they use it in this powerful way. Um, and she's emphasizing the words with that body language gesture. And we hear this repetition. We are here because we are here because and what is really you know quite interesting here is this what i found most fascinating about this particular part of the clip is when she says we have to all ask ourselves the question who are we as americans <laughs> we have to ask ourselves this questions we have to yeah and let's answer it right now america we are better than this. And then everyone cheers. Now, what did she actually say? She said nothing. Who are we as <laughs> Americans? You know, number one, that question itself is very unspecified, right? So we, who is we, okay? Uh, Americans, I guess is what she's talking about. So, but you know, what does that mean? Does that just mean people that live in America? Does it mean people who have the American spirit? Because as we're about to find out and, you know, the later part of the clip that you just listened to, well, she defines it differently. So what does that mean to be an American? Well, clearly she's talking about more than just living in the country. And she said, you know, who are we? And then she says, America, we are better than this. What is this? 
like, does she mean Donald Trump? Does she mean like, what? what is this that she's talking about? And it's just kind of this vague idea of all of the bad stuff that's going wrong and better. Better is what's called a comparative deletion, which is better. How specifically compared to what? And, you know, what is it that's being compared to? So that that was my favorite part of it. And right, then, she's not she's not actually answering the question. Right. Who are we as Americans? She, instead of saying what we are, she answers it by saying what we're not. Exactly. So she's not she, she doesn't actually say what it is that we are and that allows a loophole for the listener to fill in whatever they want. Exactly. And that's that's exactly what she's doing and I want you to notice something about the mo- what we call motivation direction, right? So is is she moving away from pain or toward pleasure? Well, she talks about it like this. American democracy is on the line. It's under attack. And then she has this repetition that she does at the end. And she says, when, and then she fills in the bad thing that's happening, that's not our America. And then when, and then that's not our America. And of course, you know, as she is talking about these different, different things, um, it's very persuasive. Because she says something like, you know, when we have riots in Charlottesville, white supremacists, when we have the shootings in Pittsburgh, you know, all of those are horrible events. And I think we can all agree that they are, you know, to be condemned and we you know, don't want to support them in any way. But what does she mean exactly when she says that's not our America? You know, she's talking about some, you know, value based idea that she has in her head of what America should be. And what exactly does does that mean? You know, how is that defined? And, you know, it's kind of like, well, it happened in America. So does that mean that it is America? What is how is that different from our America? And who is the hour that she's referring to? Does she mean the people at the rally? Does she mean anyone at the rally who might agree with, you know, this sentiment? It's all very, you know, undefined. And when we think about that motivation direction being away from, you know, it reminds me of the episode that we did on the victory speeches where we were contrasting what Alexandra Ocasio-Cortez, who was doing a very kind of away from pain type of speech versus Ayanna Presley, who was doing a very toward possibility, very um, kind of thematically inspired and inspirational type of speech. And what we hear here is that Kamala Harris is distinctly using an away from strategy uh, to get people really amped up about the pain um, and then kind of mixing in some of that toward, you know, motivation there. And, and so now what we'll see coming forward is, you know, she spends the next 10 minutes or so here talking about, you know, sort of that away from motivation, all of the things that America is not. And then what she needs to do now to, of course, complete her speech is to, you know, bring in a, a positive emotional state. So you're brought into the very negative emotional state here of all these things that we're, you know, that we are not and that we're running from. Now she'll start talking about the America that she is fighting for. So this is the possible, the positive. And so it gets everybody in a very, very hopeful, positive state. I'm running to fight for an America where our democracy and its institutions are protected against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Which is why I will defend this nation against all threats to our cybersecurity. 
We will secure our elections and our critical infrastructure to protect our democracy. And we will honor our service members and veterans so no one who has served this country has to wait in line for weeks and months to get what they are owed when they return home on first day. I'm running to fight for an America where no mother or father has to teach their young son that people may stop him, arrest him, chase him, or kill him because of his race. An America where every parent can send their children to school without being haunted by the horror of yet another killing spree. Where we treat attacks on voting rights and civil rights and women's rights and immigrant rights as attacks on our country itself. And so yeah, so here she is building that narrative of where we're going, where we should be going, what I am running for. So she does this I'm running cadence where she talks about this positive thing and she ties it back to herself. I'm running so that X, Y, and bad thing doesn't happen and this good thing happens. I'm running to fight for this good thing. I'm running for this right and that right and the other right. And so she really does that by tying that back to herself and tying it to an American value, both of which she's already explained uh, in the beginning. She sort of set herself up for this. She's sort of opened up both of those definitions of who she is and what America is as very, you know, expansive definitions that she's going to explain more about later. And here she is sort of adding meat back to, you know, the bones that she that she constructed. Yeah. And she talks about our democracy. Right. And what does she really mean by that? OK, uh, that's it's it's again that type of vague term. Now, we all understand kind of what a democracy is. But again, what does it mean? Our democracy. What does she mean by that? What that term our kind of makes it somewhat persuasive. And then she has this part here where she's talking about the attacks on the rights of this group and that group and the other group. And the implication is, is that when they attack this group or that one, that they are attacking our democracy, that they are attacking America itself, which a lot of people wouldn't view it that way. But that's the way in which she's framing this and putting it all together in this you know, kind of package where she's saying, well, if you believe in this, then you're going to believe in my thematic message. If you believe in this particular idea, then you believe in the America that is our America, which she's again, been building up this whole time, this persuasive and thematic structure that she's moving toward. And what I found interesting here was that line that she said, to fight for an America where our democracy and its institutions are protected against all enemies, foreign and domestic. She sort of adds that that extra uh, emphasis to the and domestic sort of alluding to Donald Trump and maybe others who want to 
you know, uh, evade investigations. Um, she does a really good job there of not actually saying anything specific, but everybody in the audience can sort of fill in that blank, make the connections, and then, you know, they all erupt in, in you know, applause. And so we'll see a little bit more of that here um, in this next clip where she does more of that alluding to Donald Trump and the Republicans, um, where she sort of makes these very broad statements but the way that she says it allows the audience to, again, fill in that blank. So let's hear the next clip. I'll fight for an America where we keep our word and where we honor our promises, because that's our America. And that's the America I believe in. That's the America I know we believe in. And as we embark on this campaign, I will tell you this, I am not perfect. Lord knows I am not perfect. But I will always speak with decency and moral clarity and treat all people with dignity and respect. So again here, we have her sort of calling out Donald Trump without actually saying anything. She's just talking about herself. She's just saying. She's just being very vague. But who's she really talking about here? Right. It's it's an America where we keep our word, we keep our promises. And what is she saying? She's saying Donald Trump doesn't keep his promises. She's saying that he is not someone who treats people with respect, who doesn't speak with moral compass and with clarity, you know, mental clarity in that in that sense. And she's building up this counter idea. It's like, hey, that's that's how they are. This is how we're going to be. And the more in which you create that out group, the more in which it strengthens the in group. She's saying, hey, that's that's all of that over there. We're not going there. We're going to stay here and we're going to strengthen what we have inside of us. Now, this interesting thing that she does here at the end. Now, you can see where, you know, she built that image of, you know, where she wants us to go. But now she needs to tie it all back to herself. And so this is really where she does all of that and puts a nice little bow on it. And of course, we know this is not going to be easy, guys. It's not going to be easy. And we know what the doubters will say. It's the same thing they've always said. They'll say, it's not your time. They'll say, wait your turn. They'll say, the odds are long. They'll say, it can't be done. But, but America's story has always been written by people who can see what can be unburdened by what has been. That is our story. And so, man, that quote right there. But America's story has always been written by people who can see what can be unburdened by what has been. It's like revisionist history 101, right? That's what she's saying. (laughs) But I wonder who she's talking about. Who are these people? 
Who are people like this who can see what can be unburdened by what has been? Could she be talking about herself? Right. Yeah, it's it's funny because, you know, we're talking about America's story. What what do we mean by that? You know, and 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 when she said story, you know, and, and immediately my mind went history, like a history book, but I think she's talking about something else. I think she's talking about the kind of idea of America inside of people's minds, this ever occurring idea or ideal of America, of this value system of what we would like it to be. And, you know, again, if you have a value system that people hold really highly, they don't define it. They don't say exactly what it is. All they know it is through example. They know this is, you know, what it is through example. And it's really easy to create a contrast with the people who are not in alignment with that value, you know, i.e. Donald Trump. And then at, at the beginning of this clip, she does something, you know, really, really persuasive. And it's something called inoculation. And, you know, it's something that we talked about that Donald Trump was doing in his um, government shutdown speech. And what she's doing is she is inoculating against objections. That's that's the term for it. And so what she is saying is, hey, people are going to say these things. So she's kind of getting ahead of that. And she's saying, we know what they're going to say. And then she comes up with the phrases that she thinks that they're going to say. And then she says them in that kind of almost mocking, kind of unbelievable type of voice. And because she lists them all together, again, this and this and this and this, it kind of seems like they're all kind of a part of that basket of things that people you know, shouldn't believe. And because she gets ahead of it and she says it in that way, now when a person hears it, or they're at the dinner table talking with their family and, you know, the family says, oh, you know what? I just think it's not her time. They go, I remember that. She said that in her speech and it is her time because Kamala Harris is for the people. Right. And they go into the whole <laughs> thematic nature of it. Right. Yeah. She does this the great uh, straw man arguments there. And you'll see everybody. A lot of people do that. You see everything from. Ted Cruz to Ocasio-Cortez to Barack Obama, lots and lots of politicians do this sort of thing where they set up these straw man arguments. They try to, you know, inoculate the listener. Often, I think it's most effective at the end where you've heard all this stuff, you're really bought in. And then like, it's like, it's almost like the cult leader then at the end uh, of your initiation is like, oh, and You'll go home and people will call you crazy, but you're not crazy. (laughs) They're going to say this, but here's, you know, what you've already found out. Right. And, you know, it's 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 really clever. It's really interesting the way that that they do this. And and it is it is kind of a a little bit of that uh, Donald Trump thing where he's telling the story about the guy that he (laughs) met outside of the rally and the guy says the thing and this is how he would respond. Mm -hmm. Right. Like this, this kind of fictional narrative of what has been actually, you know, been been brought up. Only this time, you know, who says it is, you know, who who is going to say it? Well, basically anyone who is not with our mission, right? Anyone who's not with our mission, this is what they're going to say. These are the words of the opposition. And, you know, if this sounds a little bit um, like... Uh, some authoritarian regimes, you know, having this kind of propaganda out there, that's because these are the types of tactics that 
you know, propaganda actually uses, you know, to be able to actually, you know, insulate against someone being able to say anything against the, the, the idea that's being proposed. Now, so the end of the speech is really, you know, interesting because this is where she takes all of the themes that she, you know, touched on throughout the entire uh, speech. She almost lists them off uh, and ties them all together and uh, and brings it home, brings it to herself, her campaign, and this idea of America and what it is. So she, spoiler alert, she is America. And so here's the thing. It's up to us. It's up to us, each and every one of us. So let's remember, in this fight, we have the power of the people. We can achieve the dreams of our parents and grandparents. We can heal our nation. We can give our children the future they deserve. We can reclaim the American dream for every single person in our country. And we can restore America's moral leadership on this planet. So, let's do this. <laughs> yeah, so she takes all those themes, ties it all together, and she always uses, you know, we, we, we can do this. You know, this almost like the Ted Cruz, right? I, I'm almost shocked that she didn't take her hand and, and bring it to her chest, right? Is that, you know, this, <laughs> all this stuff, she's really talking about herself, but she's broadened the definition of we, She's broadened the definition of us. And so now all of this, all, you know, her campaign is about we and us and not about her. Right. And she has, again, this, you know, if you've been listening for a while, you know, these type of thematic structures where they summarize the speech and they go into this, these kind of big words and big ideas about what it is, you know, the power of the people. And again, what does that mean? No one has any clue, right? But it, but it means something to, to someone. We can achieve the dreams of our parents and grandparents. You know, what that means is, you know, as she was alluding to at the beginning of the speech, this is about her and her archetypal story of her parents coming here to learn something, but not just knowledge, but other things, the promises, everything like that. And we hear the this idea of, the verb and the noun being put together. So these are like action, mm -hmm. right? So it's, we have the action and then we have the thing that's going to be taking action. Now, what was the phrase in the Barack Obama campaigns? Yes, we can. So what is Kamala Harris repeating here? We can, verb, noun. So we can achieve the dreams. We can heal our nation. We can give our children we can't reclaim the dream restore the moral leadership and this is this very basic idea of hey here's the action here's the thing that's being applied to but what makes it persuasive is that the noun in this case the thing that's being applied to is so highly chunked up so vague so ambiguous it you really have no idea how it's being applied and the verb itself is very unspecified as well how specifically are you going to give? How specifically are you going to achieve? How are you going to heal? What does that mean? 
you know, and well, what it means is, you know, we put the trust in the politician, Kamala Harris, in this example, you know, we put the trust there and somehow that's going to happen. But here's the thing about this. And, you know, with this, we'll, you know, start to conclude the show is that when you really think about it, how many politicians have made that same type of argument have made that same promise that if you just vote for them, everything basically is going to get better, that everything in the world is going to get solved, and you buy into that kind of vague idea. And then later on, because you voted, you have confirmation bias, right? And then later on, it's like, well, yeah, of course that happened because, and then you find the specific little, perhaps, things that that happened that verify or confirm that viewpoint, and then you say, oh, yeah, that's that's right, I did make a good decision because of X. And then comes the next political rally, and you're all you know up and motivated and inspired and saying, oh, now I'm ready to really take action. And I'm not saying that all of this isn't necessary, but to the skeptical person or the person who really wants to take a step back and look at this, just consider how everyone's being swept up into this emotion of the moment, but what does it actually lead to and what does it specifically mean for each individual person sitting in the audience there? Yeah, Kamala Harris is really, you know, a gifted politician from what we've, you know, explained here is that she's really borrowed a lot of the, you know, tactics and talents of people who have come before her. Um, Especially, you know, I just see tons of echoes of Barack Obama's, you know, storytelling and weaving and, you know, it, it's really, you know, very well prepared, well staged, well put together. Uh, everything's very thought out. And, you know, I, I just I can't help but admire exactly, you know, how on point her and her staff were on this. So, um, you know, really fascinating to see, you know, a, a prime example of persuasion at work, especially on an announcement. It'll be interesting to see how this actually plays out. Um, in the primaries here and, and if any of this, you know, falls apart or if they're able to keep, you know, everything exactly buttoned up the way that this speech certainly portrayed. Yeah. And I think that she really has improved in terms of her messaging and what she has, you know, been able to do with this, you know, from hearing and we've, you know, listened to some clips of her before. I think that she's really learned that thematic art of being able to put everything together and, you know, weave it together in this really kind of mystical storytelling style, which it seems to be really working for. All right. That's about all the time we've got for today. If you enjoy this show, and I know you do, head on over to our Patreon and you can support us for as little as just buying us a cup of coffee. And you can head on over to subliminallycorrect.com. Send us a message. We love your feedback. We'll even answer any of your questions on the air. Head on over to Twitter, follow us at SubliminalPod, or go on to our Facebook feed and uh, send us a question, comment, um, thoughts, whatever it is. Um, And don't forget, you can always go to iTunes, rate and review us five stars there. That really helps the show. And uh, we'll see you next time. 